Uh, we've been in a series we started last week where we're looking at the book of Joshua and, and really seeking out the parallels in this book of, of how God takes us from one place and really calls us to cross over into another place. And with the Israelites, we, we saw that they were facing a lot of transitions and a lot of challenges. Uh, we talked about how Moses, this ultimate leader, this, this prophet uh, after whom there would be no other prophet save Jesus, uh, no prophet of that stature, and, and Moses is now gone, and so they're transitioning and they're experiencing the challenges, experiencing the challenges of new leadership. They're experiencing uh, challenges and transitions uh, from people of, of Israel wandering in the, the promised land and, and not just wandering for a short period of time, but really having a lifestyle of wandering. You know, productivity people say it takes about 28 days, you know, if, if, you, if you really focus to establish a habit. Well, they had been, they had been in the wilderness for 40 days. So plus years. I mean, this was a new generation of, of individuals who had grown up. The past generation had died, and, and so they had some established habits of wandering, of not being settled, of not being rooted, and so they had the associated challenges and, and transitional period here. They had the challenges and transitions for from waiting to receiving the promises of God. They had been waiting and hoping and, and asking for, for freedom. The previous generation had been actually praying for God's salvation, his deliverance in Egypt, and he answers. But he doesn't just answer in a moment, in a second, and then all of a sudden, poof, they're in the promised land and it's completely taken over and all the, the enemies of God have been dispelled. No, they have to spend years upon years really appropriating this promise. And although you and I were separated by both time and culture, we're not ancient Near Easterners, we, uh, we can see that there are parallels in this text, in this Bible, in this book for our lives. Um, we all face ch uh, challenges and temptations and trials in our lives. We face transition in our lives. Like the Israelites, God's brought us to this moment in time. Last week I talked about how God has brought the Israelites and he's brought us to this moment. You know, you can look at your life and you can look at your circumstances and maybe your, your circumstances have pressed on you and you look at your circumstances as almost being the defining characteristic that, that has brought you to where you are, but but the reality is the Bible says that God is sovereign, he's in control, he's Lord, he's king, how else can I put it? He is in charge of your circumstances. And sometimes that's encouraging and sometimes that's a little daunting. If you're in difficult circumstances and you know that God is in charge of those circumstances, it, it raises the question, why God? And the Israelites they found their, their, themselves in, in a number of moments where they, they looked at the Red Sea and they saw the, the, the Egyptians and they were asking themselves, why God? Or in this case, why Moses? And here the, the Israelites are facing the Jordan and their leader has died and they're looking at their circumstances and they're saying, why God? Why have you brought us to this moment? Like the Israelites, God's brought us all to this moment. And like the Israelites, God's called us to obey 
him. He's called us to love God faithfully and love others sacrificially, to be Christ-like in our relationships with one another, to walk in righteousness and in a righteousness that's defined by his word, and to avoid evil. He's called us to some things, some, some commands, some, some standing orders, some rules and regulations, some, some standard operating procedures for Christian life. And like the Israelites, he's given us his very good promises. Last week I talked about the fact that he has promised to be with us. In Matthew 28, it says that God will not leave us nor forsake us. Jesus won't leave us nor will he forsake us. In our darkest moments of, of isolation and loneliness, if we are in Christ, Christ is with us. That's the hope of the gospel. And if, and if we're faithful to this gospel message, that's, that's the frightening reality of an unbeliever is that there is a true loneliness, there is a true hopelessness that exists outside of Christ. And for us as Christians, that ought to motivate us to tell others about Christ. Because otherwise they exist, they live their lives in isolation. But we have the benefit of him being with us by faith in Christ. He has also promised that he will complete what he has started. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul looks at the the Philippian church and he says, I'm so excited for what God's doing in you as a church. And I know that what he has started, he's going to complete. And like the Philippian church, God is in this church. And he's going to finish what he has started. So how are we going to respond? That's, That's what today's message is about. Last week we talked about what God had done to bring them to that place. What he had commanded and what he had promised. And so they're standing at the Jordan, metaphorically speaking, and they're about to cross over. And the question is, what are they going to do? How are they going to respond to all that God has done and said? Now, this is a long section. I would encourage you to go back and read chapter 3. We're going to read one verse, the last verse, or yes, the last verse of chapter 3 together. So if you'll stand with me, if you're online, you can stand as well. We're going to read Joshua chapter 3, verse 17. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that though you call us to things that are often hard that you are always with us. And God, we thank you that you promise to do extraordinary things in our lives if if we will be faithful with the ordinary. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would, you would by your spirit or by your word, that you would pinpoint the areas of, of faith and obedience that you want us to respond to. Lord, those places where you've called us to ordinary obedience. And would you help us to see the difference between walking faithfully in the ordinary and looking to you for the extraordinary over against our temptation to try and do things on our own, often extraordinary things rather than trusting you to do that. God, we pray for your grace. We pray for you to open this word to us. Lord, let me speak in such a way that 
It comes out clearly. And we ask all of these things in the name of your mighty, mighty son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can be seated. So at the beginning of chapter 3, we see that Joshua rose early in the morning and the Israelites set out from Shittim and they came to the Jordan and he and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. So chapter 1, we see that that God gives the command, Moses is dead, you're going to cross over the Jordan, you're going to take these people over to the Jordan or over the Jordan, into the promised land. Jericho's on the other side. And so in chapter 2, we hear this story. We see this story of, of Joshua in much the same way that Moses did. He gets some spies and sends them into Jericho to kind of spy it out. These, these uh, spies, they interact with this, with this woman named Rahab. She's, she's a prostitute, and, and yet she, she cares for them. She protects them against the king of, of Jericho. She conceals them. And she confesses really faith in God and says, okay, I, I'm going to com- commit myself to you. I've heard about Yahweh. I've heard about the Lord God. I heard about what he did to the kings on the other side of the Jordan. I know, I know how this story is going to end. So I will help you, but please protect me and my family. And these spies say, yes, we will protect you and your family. So we come to chapter 3 where they've been prepared, they've been positioned, and they're about to cross over to the uh, the, the, the Jordan. God did extraordinary things in this chapter so that the Israelites could do the ordinary. I'll repeat that. God did extraordinary things so that the Israelites might do ordinary things. Now, this is so important for our lives because we get it confused. Oftentimes, we look at our circumstances, we look at our difficulties, and we try to figure out, how can I do the extraordinary? We look at our bills, we look at our bank statements, and we begin to clamor. Okay, what do I need to do? What can I sell? What other job can I take on? What foolish thing can I do? (laughs) Maybe this Bitcoin thing is a thing, and I'm not saying plus or minus, but, but easy money. Let's look for a way to make some easy money. What can I do? How can, I, how can I make this happen? You know, I'm really lonely. I've been, I've been single for a long time. What can I do? Maybe I can, maybe I can make this thing work. Maybe I can step just to the left or to the right of, of God's design for, for purity outside of marriage and purity and, and fidelity within marriage. Maybe I can just step just outside of this and, and make this thing happen. You know, oh man, if I could just, if I could just get these clients to, to, to come on board, if I could just bend the truth just a little bit, if I could just do, do a little bit more to manipulate, to change, to transform the perspective, the opinions, the thoughts of these other people, extraordinary things if you understand how people work, if I could just do that, then, then things would work out. We get it confused And in a rare moment of obedience, we see the Israelites (laughs) committing to do the ordinary while God does the extraordinary. Let's look at verse 5. It says this in verse 5 of chapter 3. Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
He was saying to the Israelites, you need to cleanse yourself. You need to sanctify yourself. You need to make yourself clean and pure and holy before a holy God because you're going to encounter a holy God in three days. You're going to encounter an amazing God in three days. There are many moments in the Old Testament where where this idea of cleansing, of consecration, of setting apart oneself was tied to God showing up. And a lot of times we're not very interested in how we appear before God. We're not interested in, in our interactions with God because we've, we've assumed the position of God. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to cross the Jordan. I'm going to, to make this deal happen. I'm going to make this relationship happen. I'm going to make this loneliness go away. But he says, no, no, what you need to do is to be faithful in relationship to me. Consecration is recognizing that God is holy and responding accordingly. It's looking to a a God who is completely other. He's not like anything in creation. He's higher than creation. He's got a greater level of dignity than creation. He is glorious and mighty and strong and powerful, and we need to respond accordingly. You know, I... uh, I grew up in the 90s, and I was a, a fan of No Doubt. I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just putting it out there. Gwen Stefani, before she went solo, and the bassist, if you ever watched uh, No Doubt, he's pretty talented. Uh, and, and I was in, in Washington, D.C., actually with, I think it was with some youth. I don't know if that was, again, I was uh, a youth pastor at the time, and I saw... I think his name is Tony. I saw Tony at the Smithsonian. And I just turned, I, I stopped being like normal human Eddie. And I was like, oh my, it's Tony. And, but, but I also didn't want to be a weirdo, even though I clearly was a weirdo. Uh, I was like, okay, do I talk to him? I don't want to freak him out. He looks like he's with family. And so I, I think I went up to him. And I was like, hey, I really am a fan of your work. I don't want to bother you. Goodbye. And I just left. And that was it. I don't know that he said anything. He might have just been like, heard a guy mumbling and then, you know, tells his friends and family, I was accosted by this guy. He mumbled at me and ran away. I don't know what happened. But I, I, I joke, but the way that I responded to him was different than how I would respond to, to, to everyday people. Because the, at the time I was like, oh, he is, there's something special about him. Now when we take that to the nth degree... Our response needs to be reflective of the honor of the person we're in the presence of. Joshua says, you're about to experience God's wonders. You're going to experience the presence and power of God. You need to consecrate yourselves. You need to act differently than you do on a Thursday at home when you're having chilly Thursdays. Consecrate yourselves, he says in verse 5. In verse 3, he says this. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So they were told, you know, clean yourselves up. You're going to walk over the Jordan. Clean yourselves up. You're going to walk over the Jordan. They weren't going to walk on water. They weren't going to fly. They weren't going to sprout wings. 
They weren't going to be teleported. They weren't going to have to sit down and meditate until God heard their extraordinary expression and and then responded. They were just simply going to walk. Walking is one of the most boring things that you can ever do. Now, I have the privilege of being married to a beautiful woman, so we walk a lot, and I enjoy it. But I can assure you that had I not been married, walking would not be a thing that I do as a pastime. Because it's ordinary. It's, it's so ordinary. And, and we, we read these stories sometimes, and we think, wow, they did amazing things. No, they just walked across, like it was done. The thing that was extraordinary had been done. We're going to get to that in a second, but they just walked. Ultimately, they obeyed. Again, this is a uniquely uh, out-of-character instance for the Israelites because by and large, they're, they're characterized by disobedience. And this ought to give us hope as a side note. Like they, if they can obey, we can obey. But ultimately, in this, in this section, they obey. They do what he says. They walk out their faith in God in a very ordinary way. Now, I, some, I've encouraged you on, on Monday, get your Bible out and read it. Get a Bible reading plan and read it. And I don't know of many things that are more ordinary than, than staring at this, a, a PDF spreadsheet of Bible chapters one after another. There's nothing like super spiritual looking about it. You're not like, oh, the Holy Spirit's speaking me today and, and, and I'm going to read this section and, and now I'm hearing from God and there are angels around me and, and we're really communing. I'm seeing lights and visions and, and seven-headed dragons being destroyed. None of that. I, I just, and, and maybe that happens in your, in your visionary devotions. Not mine. Um, I open the Bible and so today I read... Okay, Psalm 119, I'm going to read this section. And I'm going to read this out of, you know, I'm in, I'm in Samuel. And I'm going to read out of um, 2 Corinthians. And I pray, you know, God, would you use these things? Would you help me be faithful uh, as, I, as I see Samuel being faithful? Would you help me to listen like Samuel listens? God, would you help me to, to know your gospel, the gospel that's now been unveiled as I see in 2 Corinthians 4? Or, uh, Lord, would you, ha- would you help me to to believe and receive what you're doing by your spirit. That's that's so ordinary. But sometimes we want to say, God, I'm going to do extraordinary things for you. I'm going to do extraordinary things for you, but we're unwilling to do what? The ordinary. Like I think a lot of times God's like, well, okay, that's well and good. Yes, thank you. I I appreciate that you want to start a a nonprofit and and reach the nations and... and, um, and, you know, cure cancer and all that's great. But could you, could you just pray? <laughs> you know, I hear that you, you're talking to your friends about all the plans that you have for God and how, you know, you're, you're willing to, to go, go and die for him and, and die and be a martyr. And that's great. I mean, it's appropriate that, you know, we're, we're disciples. But could you also, you know, be kind to your neighbor? <laughs> could you also reach out to uh, your, your coworker? He calls us to the ordinary. And, and we are called to obey not because it's interesting, not because it's 
exciting, although I do think that obedience over time produces an exciting, motivating result in our life. But we're called to these things because that's, that's the way that God tends to move. If we pursue God for the extraordinary, for an experience, then we have to ask, ask ourselves, are we pursuing God or are we pursuing an experience that we expect God to provide? And if, if we're trying to do the extraordinary, are we trying to do something because God has called us to do an extraordinary thing? He certainly does at times. Or are we trying to step in the place of God and do what we want him to do? And say, well, God, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. They obeyed. They were faithful to do the ordinary. As God had promised in this moment, I'm going to do something extraordinary. He confirms his leadership in the lives of the Israelites. The Lord said to Joshua in verse 7, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests, and he goes on and tells them what to do. He's saying to Joshua, hey, this is going to be a moment for you, Joshua, because they saw, they saw me work on behalf of Moses. They saw me part the Red Sea, and this is, this is going to be like deja vu for them if they've been paying attention. And they're going to understand that, that you are my leader. Now, what I don't want you to get, to get away from this is me saying, Pastor Eddie's your leader, so therefore, you know, follow him without, you know, any sort of regard. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God's word has been given to you, and I, I beg you to take this word and to believe it and watch God confirm his leadership in your life. Take the promises of this word. I will finish what I start. I will provide for your needs. I've given your spirit so, you, so you're able to love your neighbors, to forgive your enemies, to turn the other cheek, to be a kind husband, to be a patient wife, to be a, a, an obedient son or daughter. He's given us this word, and I, I challenge you today, test it. Watch God affirm and vindicate the leadership that comes from this word. Watch God affirm and vindicate the, the, the words of this, this Bible. Watch him do it. He affirms his word. He does the extraordinary. He confirms his leadership in the lives of the Israelites. I didn't quote this. I should quote it. In, in Isaiah, you've probably heard it, but I'm going to read it anyways because... It's good. Isaiah chapter 55, God's talking about his word and he says this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout seed to the sower and bread for the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I send it. God's word does what God wants it to do. Now, that's important to keep in mind. God's word does what God wants it to do. So you can't just take some, some text and you're like, that sounds good, God, Ferrari. You know, he's going to be like, what about a Ferrari? God is faithful, though, and his word is powerful to accomplish what he intends for it to accomplish. So if you are asking in faith, God, accomplish what your word says it's going to accomplish, you're going to see extraordinary things. He does extraordinary things to bring 
his people into the promised land, right? The first thing, he, he confirms his leadership. He does extraordinary things to confirm his leadership. He does extraordinary things now to bring his people into the promised land. He says, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried out, you're going to follow it, and you're going to come into the promised land. And then finally, we, we can see that God has done extraordinary things similarly to bring us into his kingdom. God has done extraordinary things to bring you and me into his kingdom. It says in in 2 Corinthians that there's this great exchange that happens. An exchange between our own sinfulness and sin and God's righteousness. In chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, For our sake... He, talking about God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does this mean? God treated Jesus as a sinner. He didn't become sin in the sense that he is now disobedience personified. But he was treated in such a way that that he was treated like a sinful sinner person. So that, what? We might be treated as not sinners, though we are, but as righteous people. We get to, to, to be treated by God like we did the right thing. Have you ever had someone say to you, oh, thanks for doing that, and it's someone else who did it, but you're like, you're welcome. I like this affirmation that I didn't earn. That's, that's the Christian life. I like this affirmation that I didn't earn. You are my son. I love you. I like this affirmation that I didn't earn. Come into my kingdom. I like this affirmation that I didn't earn. Come and live forever in my presence. I like this affirmation that I didn't earn. He's done extraordinary things to bring us into his kingdom. It says in Colossians that he has transferred us. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He's delivered us, right? That's the same language of the Exodus. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, uh, I was having a conversation with a young man this past week and we were talking about kind of, you know, what it means to be saved and and what our kind of primary problem is. And in his mind, it was like, well, you know, I lie sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm not always the best person. I, I'm impatient and I'm unkind. And, and that's true. That's great. And I was, I was happy to hear him processing the things that he was processing. But, but we don't realize that we are not just like, shucks, we messed up again. You know, this is not leave it to be, I don't even know if that's a thing. I don't know if anyone in this room knows what leave it to beaver is, but okay, a few of you, awesome. Some out of, out of uh, character, you shouldn't, but I'm glad that you do. Um, but, it, you know, this kind of saccharine, um, vanilla, pastel, you know, I'm just, I'm an okay guy, but I do bad things sometimes. That's not, that's not the picture that God gives us in the word. 
That's not the picture of our situation. It describes it in, in, in Colossians. We have been delivered from what? The domain of darkness. Right? That is a horror movie waiting to happen. Domain of darkness. You know, like, I know I'm not allowed to watch that movie. Uh, in Ephesians, Paul talks about it as, as being under the, the rule of the, the God of the air. And if you're wondering, that is Satan. Right? We, we're, in a, we're in a bad position outside of God, outside of Christ. You and I, we're, we're not in a good space. I mean, we, we're all... I, I remember going through the season of, of time with the Lord where I could only describe it as him uniquely giving me a visceral sense of what hell might even begin to be like. And I, I, can, I can only describe it as like, I rarely see visions or things like that. This is, but, but this was a moment where I just could see, in a sense, just a void under me. And just the idea of me falling forever. And a sense of, like, this is what forever feels like. Because you know, sometimes we're like, hell, and like, that'd be bad. But then we put a period at the end. But it's no period. It's a dot, dot, dot. It's an ellipsis. It just goes. Right? Our lives outside of Christ, they start out bad and they get worse forever. So we don't, we don't talk about this, we don't think about this. I don't know that I, this is something that I need to hit on every week. But I think let's take a moment and just realize my problem isn't that, I, that I'm impatient. My problem isn't that I, uh, I get angry at people in 28. My problem isn't that I, you know... I say things about people, or whatever your, your thing is. My problem is that at my core, apart from Christ, I am absolutely in rebellion, hating God. And, and maybe you don't feel that way if you're, if you're not a Christian here. Maybe, maybe you're like, I don't hate God. But I think that if we were faced with God, and, and in that moment, knew all the implications of what he expected of our lives, what he wanted, how he thought we ought to live. Apart from Christ, we would hate that. Because that's, that's our disposition. That's what sin is. And the extraordinary thing is that God forgives us in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And he transfers us from this kingdom of being under the rulership of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And he doesn't just do that like, I'll forgive you. No, he still meets out justice. Someone still pays the debt. And who pays the debt? His son. His perfect, obedient, patient, kind, never made a mistake, always done right son. It's extraordinary. And in that, he calls us to be faithful in the ordinary. God had called Israel to this place. He'd brought them into these circumstances. He'd not made any mistakes. He hadn't, he hadn't tripped. He hadn't fallen asleep at the wheel and, and now they're in a place of uncharted territory. He had sovereignly brought them to this place of crossing over where they needed him to move. 
He, they brought him in, uh, he brought them into a place where they were going to have to depend upon him. And in that moment, he gave them commands and promises. Be strong and courageous. Obey me. Follow Joshua. And I'll be with you. And here we see that he tells the Israelites, you guys focus on you. You consecrate yourselves and you obey in the mundane. And I'm going to do amazing things. Some of you today, you've been wrestling with God. Saying, God, where are you? Why won't you move? What are you doing? And I think that he's patiently waiting for you to be faithful in the mundane. To be forgiving. To be kind. To love your neighbor as yourself. To read your Bible every day. To pray in a substantive relational way. To be a, a, a husband that loves your wife like Christ loves the church. To, to be a wife that respects her husband as God calls her to. God, yeah. To be, to be a child who honors his or her parents. All, all the stuff we learned in VBS, all the stuff we learned, and you're like, okay, I got that, but, but let me get to the cool stuff. That, that's the stuff that God wants us to deal with. To be pure as a single person, understanding that, that intimacy is, is something that's reserved for a husband and a wife. To be pure in marriage, knowing that intimacy is something that's reserved for a husband and a wife. To walk with integrity at work when it would be more fun and more interesting not to. To walk with integrity at 12.30 at night when Netflix is there and you don't want to go to sleep. God wants us to be faithful in the mundane. But I'm confident that if we will listen to what he has to say, if we will, if we will test him, not in the sense of of trying to tempt him to do something that he has not promised to do. But if we will hear his words and believe them, he will show up and do extraordinary things. God, he's, he's, calling, us, he's calling us to cross over. And, and for many of you, there's a situation that, that comes to mind when I say that phrase. He's calling you to cross over, and you're like, in this circumstance. Like, you're not, not, you're not trying to impose that. It, that's just the, that's what's bubbling up in your heart. I need, God, I need to cross over in this area, in my employment, in my marriage, in my parenting, in my relationships, in my expectations, in this, in this difficult question where I'm trying to figure out, do I go left or do I go right? And I'm, I'm asking you, would you be faithful in the mundane and trust him to be extraordinary? They crossed over on dry land. It was extraordinary. They crossed over on dry land. God is in the business of doing the extraordinary. He has done the extraordinary for us. And he will do the extraordinary for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us and that you do extraordinary things for us. That we don't need to even wait to, to find out if that's true, but you have made it clear that you do extraordinary things for us. So God, would you be so so good to us as to, to motivate us to do the ordinary. God, I pray that I would be faithful to read and apply your word. God, would we be people of your word? 
Would this word, would you make it define us as a, per, as a people? Would we actually obey the commands in here to love our neighbors, to love our, our friends and family, to be forgiving, to be kind, to be patient, to not keep records of wrong, to be sacrificial, to be generous, to worship you alone? God, make us people of this word. Lord, vindicate your leadership. Prove yourself in this word. And make us people who are faithful in the mundane. Faithful in the ordinary. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never actually had this great exchange, the Bible says that if we will not do a bunch of things, not try to be a better person, but if you will trust in Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life that we should have lived, that died on the cross for our sins in our place and rose again and three days later, proving that he was the Son of God and offering salvation to anyone who believes. If you will just trust Jesus, that Jesus, the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive that's you, just put your hand up. If you're online, you can let one of the hosts know by clicking the button. And you can just pray this prayer. God, I turn away from everything I know to be sin, everything I know to be disobedience, and I turn to you and trust you. Would you please forgive me, Lord, and help me walk out the new life that I have in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love you, family.